Uh, my name is Ryan Smith. I am the uh, college and mobilization pastor here at Provision. And I know this is the third time, but we might as well do it. Welcome to our college students. For me, I, I must say that, but I'm really, really excited that the students are back. It's actually been a, usually the summers are, oh, there's a few college students over here too. Usually the summers are um, a little boring um, for me because we get really excited this spring semester and we have these big Bible studies and all this other stuff. And then Y'all just go home. Um, but we've had a handful of students um, stay here over the summer, so it's been super, super exciting. And um, we're, we're just pumped and excited to get back into the swing of things. So I am not Mark Navy. Um, sometimes I wish I was, but um, this week I don't. Um, Mark, uh, the past couple of weeks has been, been dealing with um, some COVID issues, but he is on the mend. He is getting better. Um, he will definitely, well, I won't say definitely, we never know with COVID, but his goal is to be back next week. So Mark, we love you. We miss you. Uh, Walter, our worship leader, um, he is also out. Uh, so it's just a crazy, crazy time, uh, in the life of, I guess just our world, but, but specifically provision. Um, and God's timing is always interesting. I think sometimes it, it appears to be, uh, really strange and we can't figure it out. We don't understand why. Typically, uh, it's mid-August to, to early September is kind of our busiest times at church where students are coming back, people are coming back from vacations. So it's just a wild time. Um, and here we are. It's also a blessing to, I think the past couple of weeks, just the acoustic sets. I know it's just been a little bit different, but it's just been a blessing to, to uh, be worshiping. Um, even if it's stripped down like that and unplugged. And I've, I've personally really, really enjoyed it. Thankful for Cole. Cole's uh, new here, been here for the past three months. He's on college staff. It was cool to see JC up here as well. Um, just we're an intergenerational church. And I think that's just a blessing to be part of an intergenerational church. And I think that's how it should be biblically. And so young people, you need the older people, older people, you need the younger people. Um, and it's a blessing to help lead in that process here at Provision. So uh, I mentioned it's, it's kind of been a, a strange time in the life of our church. Won't go through all those details, but honestly, the past week for our church has been a little tough, just with some, some different significant injuries to some, of the, some people within the, the church. Some people are battling some COVID issues and just sicknesses in general. Um, a, lot, a lot of personal things going on as well. And I, I just sense that there are a lot of heavy hearts. Um, here and maybe watching at home right now. And, um, you know, on top of all that, there's just a lot of turmoil in our nation too. So that certainly doesn't, doesn't help. And, um, you know, the question is, what do we do? Like, what do we do with that? And we're all going through something. You're all dealing with something. You're starting back with school. There's just a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of nerves, there's a lot of anxiety. And where do we turn? What do we do? The simple answer to that is, is we turn our eyes to our maker. We turn our eyes to our creator. And God laid this passage on my heart about a year ago now. And I'm honored to be able to, to preach it today. And he's used this passage in my own life more than any passage over uh, this past year in my life. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump in to the text. Father, we come before you. We bow down before you. We are... But dust, we certainly don't even deserve to be here apart from Jesus Christ. But it's through the cross that we are able to come before you and worship boldly despite our sin, despite what we've been through, despite our past. We come before you, Lord, desiring to hear from your word. We thank you for 
the Bible. We thank you that you have given it to us. Lord, your word tells us that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And you know our hearts. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we're going through. You know our sins we're hanging on to. And we need your word this morning to discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 24 today. Psalm chapter 24. And I'm going to give you a little bit of the background of this psalm so we can, can approach the text, I think, appropriately. So it's believed by most commentators uh, that this psalm was written soon after king, or David became the king of Israel. Okay, so this is, we'll reference 2 Samuel 5 and 6 at some point later on in the sermon. But that's when we believe, that's when most commentators uh, believe that it was written. It makes a lot of sense within context. So Saul was the original king, the first king of Israel. And he had reigned in, the, reigned in Israel for roughly 20 years. And so, one of the, and so David becomes king. And one of the very first decisions that David makes after becoming king of Israel was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And I'm not going to get into all the details of what the Ark of the Covenant was, but it was basically a chest or a box that was really representative of God's presence with Israel. So it was basically God localized himself for a place for Israel, the people of Israel, to meet with him. So God, yes, God is everywhere, but God was also there. How that makes sense, I don't know, but God exists outside of time, right? Somewhat similarly, God dwell, if you're a believer, he dwells within your heart. You meet with him through the scriptures, the power of the Holy Spirit, but he's also everywhere, right? So that's what the Ark of the Covenant was. And the last mention of the Ark of the Covenant was in first, first Samuel chapter seven. So really what happened was, uh, it was in, in, in a man, a Levite, his name was Abinadab, but was in his house for 20 years. So Saul becomes king of Israel and he really starts uh, rebelling and he didn't need God anymore. He just kind of shoved God to the side. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant. It's not a big deal. And so David is now king of Israel. And really, one of the first decisions that he makes was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. And it makes a lot of sense, and it's probably a good thing. But he he felt a lot of pressure, I think healthy pressure. I'm the king of Israel. I'm a young guy. Where do I even begin? And if you read 2 Samuel 5 and 6, it's pretty interesting. He's always praying, God, should, I, should we attack the Philistines? Yes, go attack them. I'll deliver you. And he's just constantly leaning upon the Lord, constantly dependent upon the Lord. And so that kind of leads us into Psalm 24. We kind of know the context of what's going on. David is a brand new king. He needs the Lord desperately. And here we are. So really a, a purpose statement for this sermon would be, Our God is a great creator that longs to make himself known through us. Will you let him? Will you let God make himself known through you? And we're going to seek to answer that question. I'm going to challenge you with that question. So let's read verses 1. Actually, let's read the whole psalm. And we'll come back to verses 1 and 2. It says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundations on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend, ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? 
The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, rise up ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, rise up ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is he, the king of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. So David is this new king of Israel. And we go back to verse 2. And there's got to be nerves. There's got to be pressure. There's got to be what do I do? And what is the very first thing that he reminds himself of within context? The earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants, the world and all its people belong to the Lord. They're all yours. He says, for he's laid its foundations on the seas and established it on the rivers. So it's very comforting for me to know that God is in control of everything. If God created everything, then it must assume that he's in control of everything. I can't imagine where David's at and how overwhelming it is to be the king of Israel. Lord, where do I begin? Where on earth do I begin? And he reminds himself of who his creator is. And then he made the people. I mean, that's why we get nervous. That's why we're afraid. That's why we're fearful. It's because other people are involved. If I was living on this earth by myself, I probably wouldn't struggle with worry and anxiety and fear. (laughs) I don't impress anybody, right? But we fear people. We want to impress people and we're scared. We don't know what to do. So it brings me great comfort personally to know that God's in control of everything. And and I'll give you a quick um, brief story about why this text means so much to me. A year ago, um, my family and I moved down here in October 2020. I was here uh, in September and I was it was something house related. I was going to take a day to pray just over the campus. I'd never really been um, on campus of Wingate or Wingate, whatever you call it. Um, <laughs> I never know. Um, I, I'd, I'd kind of done a little tour, but I, I made it a kind of a personal day. I was like, I'm going to pray over the campus today. I'm just going to go to the campus. I'm going to pray and just pray over this campus. I'll never forget walking on the campus. I'm by myself. And I'll just be honest with you, I was pretty scared. Like, <laughs> it's amazing how 18 to 21 year olds can intimidate you. But no, um, no, I just didn't know anybody. And it was like, I can't, and there's this campus. I don't know any of these buildings. I don't know what the dorms are. I don't know any of the people really. And um, so I'm sitting in front of Stigall Pond on a bench. And at the time I was reading a Psalm a day. And literally the, the, the Psalm happened to be Psalm 24 that day. I never studied it and just didn't know. And uh, what in a Psalm I would have j- kind of chosen. And, uh, I literally, I sit down on the bench, I'm looking across the pond and, um, I open my Bible to Psalm 24 and I'm nervous. I'm like, where do I begin? Like, what do I do? Honestly, I mean, I, what do I do as a, as a college pastor? I have no clue. And, uh, <laughs> despite of the, the five years experience I'd had before, I just did a new place. And I sit down and I don't remember, I don't think I cried, but I was close to it. And I read the earth and, it, and everything in it all these people that are walking around that I am intimidated by and I'm scared of, you own them. Or he's saying, I own them, Ryan. I own them. I own this campus. I own the buildings. I own the professors. I own the students. 
I own the fact, I own own it all. You had no reason to fear. And how comforting was that? And when he says everything, that, that means everything. We don't have to dig into the Greek on that. It's everything. He owns it all. He is our creator. I love what Jerry Bridges says. He says, the spider building his, his web in the corner and Napoleon marching his army across Europe are both under God's control. Speaks to his sovereignty, how he controls literally everything. The spider building the web is under his control. My little, Ryan's little life is under his control. <laughs> the world is under his control. A few weeks ago, Jim preached from Psalm 2 and referenced Acts 4. And the believers, uh, Peter and John, they were facing, the early church, they were facing serious persecution. And they run back to the, in the church, they gather with the church, they've been delivered from prison and they're praying for boldness. They need boldness to, to live, live out their walk with Christ, live out their faith with Christ. Listen to what Acts 4.24 says. They're praying for boldness. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, what? Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth and the sea and everything in them. They remembered that he was creator. And they go on. If you continue to read through the text, it ends with, so grant us boldness. Give me strong faith. I need that. So I need to connect that God has created me and he's created this world. Therefore, I should submit to him. If he is creator, then he can deliver us in ways that idols and men cannot. Imagine creating something. Just imagine being able to have the ability to create something that would actually work. But then it turns around and dictates what you do. Like imagine if I created some robot and the robot turns around and starts telling me what to do. How absurd would that be? I'm like, I created you. (laughs) listen to me. Now, God, that is not the type of God he is. He is a loving God who has adopted us and cares for us. And he wants to provide and he wants to care for us. He wants to lead us down the right paths. But honestly, guys, the absurdity of us arguing back with him, not questioning, not pouring our hearts out. I think that's biblical. But the irony of us arguing back with him and doing it our way is pretty contradictory. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think of Peter in John chapter six, Jesus is preaching to the crowds and he starts preaching a hard message. And what happens? Most of them leave. And then he basically asks Peter, are you going to go too?" And what does Peter say? Where on earth would I go? You have the words to eternal life. I mean, I could, I could, I could leave you. And I've done that in my life before, but where does it, where does it leave me? Where does it leave you? Never works out. Never works out. Have you thought about, and I'm sure you have, but have you ever thought about that with all the stuff going on in our nation, COVID, he's in complete control of that too. Certainly not to say we shouldn't be cautious and shouldn't, shouldn't be aware and we should care, but he's in control of that. Pretty basic, right? But something I, I feel that we need to remind ourselves of. I was encouraged, uh, Paul Washer, this is what he says regarding, um, he was getting a lot of questions about COVID. What do we do? What do we think of this? And he says, I don't need to know what God is doing if I know who God is. Like, why would God allow this? I don't need to know what God is doing if I know who God is. He says, I know that my God is perfectly wise and sovereign. He says, I trust his character. Therefore, 
and he kind of goes on to tell a story. He says, if my mom walks into the house, to my house, and says, give me your keys. I've got to go somewhere. He says, I'm going to give the keys to her. Why? I don't even know where she's going. I'm going to give her my keys because I trust who she is. I trust her character. I don't need to know where she's going. I don't need need to know what she's going to do in my car because she's my mom, and I love my mom, and I care for my mom. And my mom is not even close to where the Lord is. I know that God's always going to do right, is what he says. Why worry about the things of the world? If I know that my God is sovereign and in control, and maybe it is suffering. I say this probably every time from the pulpit. But God is, is really not concerned so much with our personal happiness. He desires to make you like Christ. He desires to conform you to his image. And, and how, what, did, what was Christ's life like? It was a life of suffering. It's conforming us to his image. So verse 3 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? And if you're taking notes, by the way, I forgot to reference it. Um, our great creator is the first one. I'm terrible with that. Verse 3, our great dilemma. I'll go ahead and tell you that one. Our great dilemma. So when we think of this great creator, naturally, the, the thought has to kind of come, who can approach this great creator? If this is who he is, then who can really approach him if we're honest with ourselves? It's a pretty good question. Verse 4 through 6 answers that. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So here's your answer. Those with clean hands, a pure heart, where are my hands here? Clean hands, pure heart, not idol worshipers, and those that are not deceitful. There was a a song that came out, hard to believe that this is about 20 years ago now, really showing my age. It's called Give Us Clean Hands, a song I I really liked. Uh, I think Chris Tomlin did it, Uh, an awesome band called Cutlass did it, who really helped change my life. But The song says, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Let us not follow after idols. So God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. David wanted to lead a generation of seekers. And we'll answer this question a little bit is, how do I even begin to do that? Well, I let the Lord come into my life. I let him do what he wants to do. David wanted to lead a generation of seekers, and he knew it was only possible through the gospel. Only possible through the power of Jesus Christ. Only way. But here's our problem. And point three is the impossible solution. Because he's sitting here in chapter in verse three and says, how, how do I approach this great creator? Well, the answer is in verses four through six. The problem is our hands are never clean. Our heart is never pure. We are deceitful. And we love idols. If we're really honest with ourselves, me included, I love idols. (laughs) Probably shouldn't admit that. I struggle with idols. I struggle with putting other things over Christ. And I know you do as well. And no matter how much I try to clean my hands and, and have a pure heart, I'm wicked. And I mess up and I do things I shouldn't do. I fail and I fail and I fail and I try and try and try and I keep failing. I think of Isaiah 64, 6, it says our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. 
So you, you may argue and say, I'm actually pretty good. I do good things and my good outweighs my bad. The problem is your good is tainted with sin. Like all your good works are tainted with pride if it's apart from Christ. It's not to say we as Christians cannot do good things. But if I'm not a believer and I'm only doing it, you say, well, no, I do it for other people. I sacrifice for other people. Why? To make yourself feel better. So we do that, right? Apart from Christ, I'm going to sacrifice for somebody else. I'm going to love somebody else. Why? Ultimately, because it makes me feel good. Well, then Ryan gets the glory for that. And so even your good, your goodness is tainted with badness. <laughs> you can't escape your pride and neither can I. So the solution is impossible. I think of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It describes us before Christ. And if you're not a believer, it describes who you are. Not Ryan. It's not my opinion. This is what Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world. So he's talking to believers here. But this is what you were before Christ. You were dead in your sin. It says, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. So it's Satan. It says, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We basically, we did what we wanted to do. And Romans 3 also affirms that. Romans 3, 11 through 18, says none is righteous. No, not one. We all seek our own way. We all do what we want to do. And I, I, I use this illustration a lot. You say, um, I don't know that that's me. When you have children, you really begin to understand the Christian life a lot better. <laughs> and I look at my one-year-old who's almost two, and it's amazing how she hasn't been taught how to sin. She just knows how to sin, and she knows how to be deceiving, and she knows how to, how to worship idols. She just knows. She knows how to worship Cocoa Melon, if you know what Cocoa Melon is. Probably shouldn't let her watch I don't know. Um, there's probably some hidden message in Cocoa Melon, but it's a little kid show if you don't know. Um, loves it, obsessed with it. Like they're conniving. She's already learning how to be deceitful at age two. It's pretty impressive. And you hate to say this, parents, it's almost sometimes funny. It's like, that's actually cute that she knows how to do that. But then, it, you know, it's the, the cuteness wears off, right? But even my little children are deceitful and they're idol worshipers. They put other things over Jesus. They put their wants, they, they want candy, they want cookies, they want cakes, they want foods. That's all they care about. And it's true. And that's how we are on a different level. We want success. We want fame. We want money. We want notoriety. We want to be the funniest in the world. We want to be the smartest in the world. That's just who we are. It just evolves over, uh, over time. As we supposedly mature, we are dead in our sins. If you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ, I say this with all love in my heart. You're dead in your sin. You do not, there's no hope for you. The solution is impossible apart from Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You ever thought about that verse? Pretty powerful. Like God, Jesus committed the greatest act of love he could ever commit simultaneously while we were committing the greatest act of hatred. Simultaneously took our place on the cross, right? He showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Not, not when I cleaned my life up, it was the pigsty. That's the prodigal son. I have nowhere to go. 
I'm muddy. I'm eating with pigs right now. Where do I even begin to go? Did he clean his life up? No. He said, what, what do I have to lose? I'm going back to my dad. And what did his father, what did his father do? Ran after him and received him. He ran after him and received him. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You cannot do it yourself. You cannot do it. And you know it. You know it. You know your life. You know you can't do it. You know you fail over and over and over and over again. So the impossible solution is only made possible through Jesus. The impossible solution is only made through Jesus. I will say this too, and this will lead us into point four. I think the application here really is twofold. So we can also be Christians. This is where I want to really press some of you that are believers in here. As Christians, we, we can, or sorry, we can be Christians and not come before God with a pure heart. We can be Christians and believers and not come with God, come to God with a pure heart. First uh, Thessalonians uh, five nineteen it says that we quench, we can quench the Holy Spirit, and basically all that means is He He desires to give us peace. He desires to give us contentment, and quenching Him is basically saying no, stop, I don't want it. Like he, he just He wants to give us. It's it's basically we suspend that flow of peace. And contentment. That's why a lot of Christians don't experience it. And we'll get to that here in a second. But it's, you know, there's a lot of these Christians that they act like their life is great, and maybe it is, but I just don't feel that. And I won't admit it. Oftentimes, it is because we are disobedient. We sin. And we live in sin. So as a Christian, we can suspend the flow of peace that he desires to give us by your sin. And that kind of leads us in to our last point. As a Christian, it is possible to be a Christian and really live a miserable life, and it'd be hard. And I've been there. I've been there, and I'm not saying I'm totally free from that. I'm not saying I don't sin, and I do, and I have days and moments and seasons that are, that are hard. But I don't think that's the way it's intended to be. And so point four is the possible adventure. And I use that word adventure a little loosely. You can argue with me on it. It's fine. But an adventure is an unusual and exciting, typically hazardous experience or activity. So the Christian life is not always easy. It's not easy. It's, it can be very exciting, and it can be very hazardous, and it can be very scary, and there's a lot of suffering involved in it. But it's possible to live joyfully in Christ. It really, really is. And honestly, if you would have come to me probably five, six years ago even, in Bible college, I, I'd I would have nodded my head and agreed with you, but I don't know that I really, really believed it. Like, I can do a bunch of stuff. I can follow a bunch of rules and impress people. I don't know. I don't know how to believe it. So David is leading Israel, and here he is welcoming the ark, the presence of God, to Jerusalem. And this is what, that's what, this is what verses uh, 7 through 10 are about. He's saying, lift up your heads, you gates, the gates of Jerusalem. Rise up, ancient doors. Let's bring the ark of the covenant back to where it belongs. He says, then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord. He is strong and mighty. The Lord. He's mighty in battle. Lift up. He repeats himself. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Again, who is he? This king of glory. He's the Lord of army. Or your version may say host. Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So again, he's welcoming the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem. 
And what was the result? You don't have to turn here. I think, the, I think it'll be on the screen. 2 Samuel 6, 14 and 15. This is his response to welcoming the presence of God back ultimately into the lives of Israel. And you can personalize this into your own life. It's kind of a funny verse. It says, David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod, which is a garment. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of a ram's horn. So I probably should not admit this from the pulpit, but I'm going to. So I grew up in an independent Baptist church, which I have no problem with an independent Baptist church. Um, went to a Christian school and all that. And like, this is the verse that you just didn't preach on because dancing was a big, big no-no, right? <laughs> like dancing and like rock music were like, you know, you can't do that. And so like, I never heard this verse preached on. Um, that being said, obviously we've taken dancing way too far. So I'm not saying, but he's dancing with all his might. He is joyful before the Lord. He is excited that, that the presence of the Lord is back in his life and the back in the life of Israel. He's saying, I need you, Lord. He's dancing with all his might. So now here's the question for us. How do we experience Jesus' power in our lives? How do we do that? I'll answer the question up front and I'll explain it. This is where we'll end. We let him in, just as David did. We let him take over our lives. We submit to him. We let him do things his way, not Ryan's way. And we let him do things his way, his method, and in his timing. And that's something he told me that day at, through this text. I'm like, how, where do I even begin? Let me do things my way, Ryan. Let me do things in my timing and with my own method. And I'm somebody, and I think you may be the same way, I'm a control freak. I always want my hands in everything. I want to know what's going on. I want, I want to run the show. And man, have I been humbled this year. Man, have I been humbled this year through this. Verses 7 through 10 clearly speak to this. I want you to turn um, to the book of Ephesians. Such an incredible book that I've been studying recently. The question that we'll end with, one, we know we need Christ, but how do we experience his power in our lives? There's a big difference. So if you read the book of Ephesians, if you look in the book of Ephesians chapter one, really the theme of chapter one is if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, this is who you are. Whether you feel it or not, this is who you are. I'm not going to read it all. But if you look down to uh, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And then he'll go on to tell us what are these incredible spiritual blessings that we receive as, as believers. Well, verse 4 says he chose us. Verse 5 says he adopted me. He adopted us. So it wasn't cold. I am his son. You are his daughter. Then in verse 6, it says he's lavished grace upon us. He has great pleasure, great favor upon us. Verse 7 says that he's redeemed us. Verse 7 also says that he's forgiven us. Verse 11 says we received an inheritance. And verse 13 says that we are sealed with the Spirit. We can't lose that inheritance. That's pretty amazing. If you're looking for where to start in prayer every morning, just turn to Ephesians 1 and remind yourselves of those truths. I have to do it 
just about every day. The theme of chapter 2 is who you were in Christ. So for us to really understand the significance of who we are in Christ, we kind of need to know how bad we were beforehand. Right? And we've, kinda, we've talked about this. We read verses 1 through 3 that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. So that's who we, who we are, who we were. Then chapter 3 is experiencing who we are in Christ. Like Paul desires them to know what chapter 1 is all about. Like this is who you are. I also want you to experience that. We're afraid to use that word sometimes in the church, but uh, using context is appropriate. Well, if you read verses 17 through 19, this is his prayer for the Gentiles. He says, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God so that you may grow to complete maturity and you may experience what it really means to be adopted in Christ. And you know what it really means to be sanctified and justified and to be chosen and to be redeemed and to be forgiven and to given an inheritance and to be sealed. I want you to know the depths of that. I, but if we're honest with ourselves, most Christians don't experience that. We say, we look at chapter one, we say, yes, this is who I am and praise God for that. But it ends there often. And we live our lives stressed out, crazy anxiety, crazy worry, crazy fear. And we don't experience the length, the width, the height, and the depth of God's love. And we cannot be filled with all the fullness of God because we do not experience that. Which leads us to the elephant in the room question. How do we experience that? Chapter four. How do we experience that? This causes us to cringe. Verse 1, therefore I, 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 therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. So he's basically saying, live like a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, now live like it. This is how you do it. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You make every effort to be unified in the body of Christ. With it, in, in the body of Christ, let me specify that. I don't think we should be unified necessarily with other religions. We should be against other religions. Not that it shouldn't, shouldn't mean we shouldn't love and we shouldn't care. We shouldn't love them. But we, the body of Christ, we in here are to be unified. And if you scroll down, you look in verse 12, or 13, sorry. He desires that we reach unity. Verse 15, this is Jew and Gentile here. Like Jew and Gentile needs to come together, body of Christ together. And there's, there's no two groups of people that would have been more different. And if the Jew and Gentile can come together, then can't anyone come together? And this is how they do it. Verse 15, they speak the truth in love. Verse 16, knitted together for the building up of the body of Christ. Go to verse 29. No foul language should come from your mouth but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Verse 32, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God has also forgiven you. Let's just be honest. These are things we don't like. It's easy to love people that are lovable. It just is. But it's not easy to love people that are unlovable. 
And I would even go as far to say, there's lovable people in my life that do unlovable things. I can love Megan when she's good to me, or I feel she's good to me. I can be a great husband. But if I feel Megan's wronged me, that's where it's hard. I can't love her. It's hard for me to love her through that because I have pride and I don't want to bear with her for unity, right? That's my, that's my flesh. I don't want to. But I am to live like Christ. He didn't have to come die for us and he did it. And I simply, we simply as believers model that. And when we start modeling that, we start experiencing who Jesus really is and what our life is really about. What's interesting is you go into into chapter five and the first people that he specifically calls out and challenges in this area are husbands and wives. Because there's there's no greater... uh, battlefield, I don't think, than in, in terms of growing in Christ than, than the family and then in the home. I mean, we can put on a face and be, you know, show off in front of you guys, but behind closed doors, things can get hard sometimes, right? How, how am I loving for men? How are you loving your wives? And if you're not loving her well, if you're not laying your life down for her, you're probably not experiencing Christ in your life. And that, I'll just be honest, I'll probably cry, but that was a huge, huge for me. And I'm just now really learning that. I feel like it's hard. Wives, submit to your husbands. Love your husbands. Students, love your professors that you don't like. Love the other students that you don't like. Love the students you do like. They're going to wrong you. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, love them. Lay your life down for them. Jesus, Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why would he endure what he endured on this earth? The joy that was set before him. Not that my wife is a means to an end. It's not that, but I honestly, and she would agree with like, I I desire to know Christ. Think of David, Psalm 27. One thing that I ask and I seek after is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's all he cared about. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 3, 8. I count all things as rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. That's all I care about. Is it, is it worth it? It is worth it. Lay down your life for one another. So what is God's way? Kind of answered it. It's others over self. Philippians 2. Good chapter to read for that. Others over self. It's laying your life down for unlovable lovable people. It's sacrificial love. It's loving even when you don't feel like it. Psalm 24, 8. Who is this king of glory? He is the Lord. You submit to him. He is strong and mighty in battle, and you will experience God fighting on your behalf. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens when we submit to him and allow him to work in our lives. He is the Lord, mighty in battle. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. He's got an array of weapons at his disposal to help you. So let him do things in his way, in his method, and in his timing, be obedient. Then you'll experience the power of God in your life. 
The question I want to ask you as I end here is will you submit to him? That's what it comes down to. Will you let him have his way in your life? Let me pray for us. Lord, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. You chose us. You adopted us. You've lavished grace upon us. You've redeemed us. You've forgiven us. You've given us inheritance. You've sealed us. You have rescued us out of our sin. We were going our own way, doing what we wanted to do. And the verse we didn't get to was verse 4 in chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, has made us alive with Christ. Only through Jesus that I can even begin to pray. It's only through Jesus that we as a church can come together and come to you boldly, as Hebrews 4 tells us. We can, the reason we don't come to you boldly is because of our sin. But Jesus became sin for us, God. And so we come before you boldly, asking for things because of Jesus. And we, we so badly desire to experience the width, the height, the depth, and the length of your love. And to be filled with all the fullness of God. We know that that is only possible through Jesus. Lord, there are people in our lives that we need help with. People and family members and classmates and coworkers that we need to, we, people we need to lay our lives down for. Maybe it's even children, family members. It can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need your help, God. We need your help. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.